Hello, everybody. This is SBO Perspectives. I am Dr. Jack Mitchell here, along with the esteemed John Bricado. That's right. John Bricado on cue. That's what I like about you. <laughs> Every week, man. Like, that is boom, right in, it, right in this. So you know what we do, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a listener, if, if you're new to listen, we appreciate you coming on. But we have perspectives here for peers and even, even our, 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 I would say, in, in school business, you have so many different elements and you, you'll hear a lot of the episodes where we have so many partners. I would say anybody collaborates with, you know, doing these functions and performing what we do each year for these schools, this, this is critical. So what we decided on with this episode is really getting more into facilities. And so John, yeah, t- yeah, today we, we really dive into the importance of the relationship between the school business official and the director of facilities. And given that it's, you know, beginning of August and, you know, cleaning and capital work is in, in, in full throws, we figured it timely to bring on a sitting business official, Jamie Phillips at Lancaster Central Schools and her director of facilities, Mike Bernarski, which they both have a phenomenal relationship and really articulate what it means to be successful, collaborative, and communicative between the both of them. So we're excited to bring you this conversation today. So here's our interview with Jamie and Mike. Today on the podcast, we have quite the dynamic duo, veteran of the SBO Perspective podcast, Jamie Phillips. She's the Assistant Superintendent for Business and Support Services at Lancaster Central School District. And also joining us is Mike Brynarski. He's the Director of Facilities at Lancaster as well. Welcome, both of you, to the podcast. Good to have you. Welcome. Jamie, boss lady, how you been? Still being a boss lady. I'm glad to be back on the podcast. Thanks for having you me. Better be. I know. <laughs> Recurring like ages or eons. Yeah. And Mike, nice to meet you. So you said to introduce you as the good. What was it again? The good Mike B. <laughs> Mike B is uh, good enough. Yep. There you go. Well, we're glad you came on. And uh, this is an important episode. We, John and I, we look back at timely stuff when we go into you know, make these recordings and, and meet folks, you know, for our peers, obviously. So with that, facilities is key. You know, facilities is something that for the summer is really hype, you know, as far as getting the buildings ready, things like that. So if you want to just kick it off, Mike, maybe you can just go in a sense of like, what's your routine, you know, for the summer, like as far as preparing for school opening in the fall? Sure. Uh, you can imagine with 13 buildings, totaling over a million square feet in area, along with over 300 acres of lawn to maintain. We really never run out of things to do around here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This summer gives us the opportunity to take care of the many projects and maintenance issues that are just easier to work on without Mm -hmm. students and faculty in the buildings. You know, of course, the summer routine could vary depending on the building and whether or not there's any capital project construction taking place in that particular building. Mm-hmm. We like to give the schools a, a thorough deep cleaning over the summer. That will involve removing all the furniture from the classrooms, mopping, waxing or shampooing carpets and floors, mm-hmm. wiping down all the furniture as well as all the windows, walls, all the things that you know we normally just try to take care of during breaks when we have that time, the summer mm-hmm. is the, the time when we, we like to give everything a really deep cleaning. Yeah. Always in the common areas, usually clean clean last after all the furniture has been returned to the classrooms or offices. Grounds department, again, is staying busy there with the mowing and trimming the 300 plus acres of grass. They're wow. out weeding the flower beds, other areas around the buildings. Of course, they're keeping fence lines, ditches maintained, replacing the mulch. 
at our, our, our five playgrounds. They're keeping our athletic fields and young trees watered, which is, as you can imagine, important in a, in a dry summer like we had this year. Within the buildings, you know, we're, we're all the univents get a nice thorough deep cleaning. We're changing the filters on all the HVAC equipment, nice. taking care of any moves, ads or changes requested by the building principals during the year. And right down to taking care of the needs of any special needs students that are moving to, let's say, a different building. And that may may involve the installation of new AC units or installation of UV blocking window tint. And, and this summer, a little something different. We're responsible for distributing and installing, I think it's 510 new air purifiers that were given to us from Erie County that are going into each classroom. Wow. So over a million square feet and 300 acres is quite a lot. So just to kind of follow up on that, who's doing all of this work? Is this completely done by your internal staff? Do you you kind of split it with contracted staff? And how are you coordinating it directly? Well, some of the work that goes on is is capital project work and and that involves contractors some of the larger projects but basically everything that i you know ran down a normal routine is all handled in-house by by my department okay how extensive is your workforce i have i think it's like 98 employees in my department right now Wow. wow. Over 13 buildings. That's wow. Yeah, pretty substantial. But, you know, given the, the square footage, you're going to need that kind of manpower. Mm-hmm. So Mike, I appreciate did... that. Oh, sorry. Go I ahead, said man. I wasn't going to talk, but I, you know, I can't help myself. I appreciate <laughs> that Mike talks about a normal summer, but without talking about really construction. Mike has been here for four years and we have been doing construction within the schools, major capital construction between 10 to $15 million a summer for the last nine consecutive summers. So we typically have a building, at least one building that's completely closed. His staff is still able to be in there, but there's always a very last minute push to finish up some of the construction. There's a last minute push to make some of the areas usable for the first day of school. And with those last minute pushes from construction, we also have quite a last minute push of his staff in some of those buildings to be able to prepare it for the first day of student instruction. So they're often here that Labor Day weekend is not something they typically look forward to because they're usually all here, all hands on deck, putting in the extra work because they take such pride in their schools and how they look when the kids come back, but just making, you know. Hmm. Making, awesome. yeah, a lot of my employees don't know what a nice, relaxing Labor Day weekend really is. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I guess that's good and bad. Good that they're willing to put the work in, but unfortunately they, they can't relax. But, you know, you Jamie, you did bring up capital projects and given that you have so much substantial work going on, especially in the past nine years, can you speak to how you're, you're planning and budgeting for those expenditures, especially now that there's so many different federal grants and, and funding mechanisms? And I guess more specifically for you, who's who's doing all the SED paperwork and, and how is that a collaboration with, with uh, Mike? So uh, Mike doesn't do a lot on the paperwork side, lucky for him. We do coordinate between our architects and our construction managers in my office to do a lot of the paperwork required by SCD. So the architects do a lot of the initial paperwork that goes with the submission of the project. And that is in conjunction with me, with my, you know, I 
usually provide some numbers and then also review to make sure that everything is correct before it goes in. And then at the end of a project, we are working, my office, my treasurer and I are working directly with predominantly our construction manager to look at schedules of values. So we're able to nail down all of the project costs, what school buildings and what project numbers and phases those go those are associated with and then we submit the final cost reports from the business office so what we have been doing we have approved a hundred over 145 million dollars of work since 2012 so that our voters did 19 and a half million 49 million and then most recently in 2008 77 million so we're in wow. the middle we're on phase three and four well two and three and a little bit of four of the seven Seven million. So we have a couple of years left on that. We had a new school building built in 1998, and that number one hasn't been able to have work done on Adable work done on it in the last for 20 years because it was a new mm -hmm. building. So that was really just coming off, like coming able to be to do work. So we're doing an extensive amount there. Um, but we also had that full debt service fall off. So that kind of has just swapped out with our most recent product. So we do what we can to leverage our budgeted debt service. We also every year are taking advantage of those capital outlay $100,000 projects in our budget. We are leveraging our smart schools money to put an addition on one of our schools for UPK classrooms. I know most people use nice. that all for devices and technology that probably are already are obsolete. We are just actually getting started on building those classrooms. The, the poor thing was when we came up with that idea, we had enough money to build eight classrooms. And now because of the market, we're building build one three actually <laughs> i know better than you thought thanks yeah so we we did not use any of our cares money or esser gear any of our stimulus money on any capital construction because we're already in the throes of it anyway wow. projects but we've done we've accomplished a lot from our building condition survey priorities over the course of all those years we've made a lot of programmatic improvements we've made a lot of improvements for our extracurricular opportunities across the district and we've made a lot of safety and security enhancements and we're just continuing to uh stay that course you wow. know james I, I have to just make a quick comment on the i re, i know the 77 million dollar project because when i was up in western new york my district at the time we were so proud to put out a 75 million dollar project and here you show up and you got to beat me up by two million so i'll never forget that <laughs> I appreciate look we that, can't be best friends if we're not competing against <laughs> each other so you know clearly, it's true that's why we went with 77 listen john <laughs> you're going up against you know they don't call it smart schools monster something you know she's smart <laughs> they're smart there use that money right and Seriously. leverage it so but now jamie you mentioned security and so I'm curious here with the coordination you and Mike have seems really close knit. You know, do you have any coordination surrounding school security? And if so, you know, where do you interject some things within your safety plan? We do. It's definitely a collaboration on my end. It's more so the trainings, the protocols, the the updating of the safety plans, that kind of thing. Mike is involved on our district wide safety committee and just very involved 
in general of seeing best practices from other places and just coming up with ideas about what can be improved at each of the buildings safety and security wise. So he is often the one with the great suggestions. And then he also, with those great suggestions, is often the one that then has to figure out how to carry them out. So and then even things like, you know, the the fire alarm system, the phone system, the security system, the fob system, the camera system, those all fall under his purview to a degree. So making sure those are updated. He's often working with camera installations to come up with new and better places to have additional camera. We have security film on some of our entrances and other, you know, glass across the district. And he coordinates with the people that apply the film. So he's really on top of being a good idea man, because he really does have a pulse on what's happening in the buildings and where we could improve. He also cares a lot. So he kind of looks for those things so he can make those ideas. But then he's also sometimes often tasked with carrying out some of those improvements that we need to make. So, so dear Jamie. And it it is a collaborative effort because besides just Jamie and I working together, as Jamie mentioned, we do have a district safety committee that meets every month Mm -hmm. during the school year. And we also glean a lot of information from the other stakeholders in the committee on what the needs of the district really are. And we work rather closely with our SROs uh, as well as, of course, the building principals on, on their particular needs. Are you seeing an increase in kind of the amount of requests and types of requests given just what's been happening lately in schools with just safety and security concerns? Are you seeing a kind of an influx of that on your committee meetings? I think it, after every time there's some sort of school tragedy, we do have an uptick, whether it be at our safety committee or whether it's emails I get or building principal gets. At our safety committee meetings, our SROs usually debrief the committee on what happened in those tragedies. So then we can have a discussion about, okay, what can we do better to avoid what went wrong in those situations? Like most recently, the Texas shooting, obviously, you know, the door not being latched. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, how to, how, how can we assure that that's not happening here? I think honestly, COVID has kind of, kind of took away the importance, not the importance, the focus, I guess, of some of the school safety items that we had in place. So mm-hmm. we've already discussed it with our administrators and we'll be discussing it with our full staff and faculty when they get back. We got to get back to our basics. We got to be doing our drills. We need to be, you know, doing our welcome arrival procedures. We need to not yeah. be knocking doors open. We need to be locking our classroom doors when we leave the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, it's, we get a lot of inquiries of what, you know, after, usually right after a tragedy of what are you doing for, you know, to, to ensure this is not happening here. And my question back to them is what are you doing? We have all the infrastructure in place. We have all the protocols, millions of dollars, millions of hours. It is something that we're constantly reviewing and changing and trying to improve, but the second one person leaves a door propped open, everything we've done is, you know. Yeah, we we have the same conversations here. Everybody is in charge of security, not just security. You know, whether it's a custodian, teaching assistant, teacher, principal, it doesn't matter. We all play a very important role. And I think you also bring up a great point. 
we I think a lot of districts have been a little bit more relaxed on their security protocols in an effort to get back to full instruction. But now that kind of the height of the pandemic has subsided, we have to kind of revisit where we were prior to, right. you know, everything kind of being shut down because we, we sacrificed a lot in the name of getting instruction up and running. But mm -hmm. I think security has been something that we need to kind of refocus on. But kind of changing gears a little bit, you know, I think the, the collaboration between the facilities department and the business office is critical and more so that communication. So, you know, you've mentioned the myriad of capital work that that's been going on and all these grants that you've been utilizing and just so much between the summer and just throughout the year, you know, maybe starting with you, Mike, why do you think the communication is so critical between you and Jamie and really just both? Well, you know, first of all, I, I do consider myself extremely lucky to work in a district where I know that both the school business official as well as the superintendent have complete confidence in me. And, you know, as Jamie has more than enough on her plate as it is. So I consider it my job to basically not only keep from adding things onto her plate, but also to try to take anything off of her plate that I can. Every SBO is different in as far as how much communication, how much information they'd like to receive. So there's a bit of a balancing act in regards to how much information and what information to give. Because again, you don't want to add any more to their plate than necessary, but you also don't want your SBO being blindsided by not knowing something. So we, I believe we, we've found a good balance, I think, I think anyways, but I always like to err on the side of caution, because again, I'd always want Jamie to know something rather than not know something. But again, you know, it, as far as the communication goes, it, it's, it's just extremely critical because she needs to know what's going on, not only in my department, but the district. And it's my job, as I said before, to basically weed out what she needs to know and what she really doesn't need to be bothered with and then just take care of everything so that she doesn't have to worry about it. And it's nice that because of the confidence that Jamie has in, in, in my ability, she doesn't have to micromanage the, the maintenance department. And then she, I'm able to, to do my job as I see fit and get things done without Jamie or the superintendent having to worry about it. Sounds like a business official's dream to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you Mike know. and I meet, we have a bi-weekly like standing meeting that's about an hour. And that's kind of just when we talk about things, whatever we either of us have on their list, whether it be from the day before or since the last meeting. We do also just speak daily several times, usually via email, phone, or a combination of the two. I always laugh at Mike because he's out and about all day. And then he gets back to his office at like four o'clock, he'll call me. And that's like the crabbiest time of the day. So I really have <laughs> to do my best to be a jerk when he calls because he's calling with updates and to keep me informed of things. But it's just, you yeah. know, that point of the day where I'm kind of, you know, trying to crank through the rest of the day to, to, hit the streets. So, you know, I'm we're guys. talking at night sometimes, we're talking on the weekends, power outages, snowstorms, yeah. you know, floods, you know, it, it all depends. Mike has a very big department and a lot of facilities to take care of. So most of the conversations around something that's gone wrong with, you know, something broke down, there's water that came in during the storm somewhere, that kind of thing. Or you also take a, you know, a 
department of 100 people, there mm -hmm. is a significant amount of personnel issues to take care of, whether it be infighting, you know, amongst coworkers or, you know, excessive absences with someone. But the great thing about Mike is he faces those all head on in a very timely manner. So he makes it easy to not micromanage. And I also trust that when there's something I need to know about, he's definitely letting me know. And if there's something he's not sure whether I should know about, he's definitely letting know, letting me wow. know. So there's never any surprises. Well, it sounds like the communication is on point with you guys. And I think that's critical. I think, you know, with us, we want our listeners to know that, you know, how often, you know, what's a good practice here? You know, you touching base multiple times in the ways you do, the multiple forms, I think really enhances that, that you know, connection you have. And my, my thing is, I was going to add, I want to interject. How do you guys handle, you know, like procurement, you know, ensuring that, you know, you have, you following the rules, obviously, you know, with procurement of goods and services, because I know the director facilities, they do vary in their roles. This is district and a great connection you have, but I know like, you know, you hear stories about, you know, approvals for project payments, you know, OT, you know, how do you handle change orders, things like that. So, I mean, could you speak to that? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take that. It's for most of the normal day-to-day -day maintenance activities, I pretty much handle uh, all of that. Unless, of course, it's for a, uh, let's say like a multi-year contract uh, is over $35,000 or is something like for a special project. Again, because of the, the, the trust that Jamie has in, in me, I have the ability to assign and improve overtime as I deem appropriate, as well as to, you know, give the green light to any change orders that may pop up and, and require, uh, you know, immediate approval. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anything other than that, you know, Jamie will take care of. But again, I always keep her in the loop on, on anything that mm -hmm. I think she needs to be included on. And even if I end up making it, we just had a, an instance where I had to make a give the green light to the contractors to go ahead with a change order. And of course, Jamie knew about it as soon as I had the opportunity to let her know when we discussed it later at the OACM. And again, it's just communication is key. On the purchasing, on the business office side of the purchasing, Mike's department has a lot of blanket purchase orders because they're making like weekly purchases of, you know, supply, cleaning supplies, that kind of stuff from the same vendors. Those vendors are usually, usually either state or national purchasing contract or through like a post bid or something like that. So we know that those purchases, we, you know, there's not the need for quotes or yep. anything like that. So they do blanket purchase orders for a lot of those. Standard. Yeah. So you, you did speak to this a little bit already, but I guess, Jamie, how much do you really oversee facilities? I mean, it, you, you've spoken to really Mike being really heavily involved and you're not having to worry about it. Um, mm -hmm. But what is the balance that you guys have created in really just the overall management and facilitation of your district? I feel like the balance is I oversee Mike and Mike oversees his department. Exactly. Uh, luckily, Mike is a strong enough supervisor that that can be the role. And to the degree that I that he needs my assistance on anything, that's when I become more involved. And I do my best to support him across the board. And I think that goes a long way with his ability to function. Capital projects, I think that's, we don't really can 
there's so many different facets of it. We don't really consider that a function of his department, but he's just as active as a participant as maybe I am. But he's obviously working with the construction managers on some day-to-day stuff out in the field where here is more so decision-making and planning and that kind of stuff. Yeah, as Jamie mentioned, you know, I like to take care of everything that I can, but when something pops up that uh, I feel Jamie needs to be involved with or know about, I know that she's always there. She's always there to help out, lend a hand, do whatever she can. And she has my back as well, which goes a long way and is much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. So every time we have some someone on the podcast, we give them an opportunity just to kind of end with some general advice. And, you know, I, I think, Mike, I'm really interested in hearing your advice for for those SBOs that are listening. What would you give to, to those that are listening in terms of you sitting from your seat as a director of facilities? What could you offer to a school business? If well, stay off my back. Because I, I imagine, <laughs> you know, every, every SBO is different as is every DOF is different. But overall, as far as a, a general recommendation. I think most DOFs that I know would rather just be left alone to the greatest degree possible and and let them do their job, you know, as, as they see fit. But that requires a, a certain degree of trust between the SBO and the DOF. So mm-hmm. um, in order to get that, they need to earn it. And Jane, you've given some parting words before. What do you have for us today? I always have wise words. I guess my wise words with respect to this subject is for the business official, you're going to get back what you're giving out. So Mm -hmm. if you're establishing the relationship of trust and confidence, you're going to get that back. Um, So I think that's where our biggest success has been. And I don't know if either of us are perfect in that sense, but I think we both really do our best to do that. So no one's um, perfect as long as everyone tries their best. And I think the only last thing I would say is if we can redact Mike's last name from this podcast, I don't want anyone to be able to find him and he's unavailable. Feel him. He's off the market. (laughs) He's not moving. He is not changing and don't try me <laughs> don't try. all right parting words i would take that advice from her as well thank you both so much for your time today it's it's been yeah, a real you, pleasure guys. having the opportunity to talk to you thanks sure for thing, having guys. us guys nice meeting you take care Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Jamie and Mike for their sage advice and, and words of wisdom today. I think the the relationship between the school business official and director facilities is critical, especially, you know, the larger the district gets, the more intricacies there are. And, you know, having over a million square feet and 300 acres, that's a, that's a lot to look over. It's huge, 13 billions. I mean, but you know what I like about this episode, John, is that, you know, sometimes, you know, we're looking to maybe provide specific practice right like a tangible piece of advice to do something or a director would say all right go and try this mm-hmm. i think what this episode really provided is the impetus for those to go out and say Let, let's build that relationship right you know yeah. he's been there four years and i think that's critical that intangible is really what this is about the perspective provided by both of them shows the importance of that relationship but how they both put into it and how the trust is developed. And I think that, right. you know, it, it may sound 
like, hey, look, this is the obvious, but in some sense, it's not. Like, you have to really dig deep. And I, you have I to put the time in. I'm coming on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, so folks, we keep you coming every week, and we're, we're, we're glad you keep tuning in. Uh, so, we hope you enjoy this one. Look forward to hearing from you or next week. You listen yeah. to us. So. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.